Good morning. I am so glad that the weather is cool. Um, my favorite holiday of the year is coming up. And um, it may um, seem a little weird as we get rolling today um, because I'm going to uh, look at a passage that might seem a little bit out of place, but know that I'm fully aware the bird is on its way. Um, and so I am not confused as to what we're talking about. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to start right away by turning to the book of John, because um, that's where we're going to launch this series today. And I want to look at, to, to get us rolling about the concept that we're having today, I want to look at what um, a scene in the New Testament, if it's not the most dramatic scene in the New Testament, it's, it's close um, and even if you aren't um, a deep religious person or not a Bible reader, uh, you, you've heard parts of this story. And there's so much drama and action surrounding this scene um, in, in the New Testament that it's easy to kind of miss. Um, it's easy to kind of miss some of the subtext and some of the things that are going on and the points that are being made just with all the action and emotion that's wrapped up um, in it. So we, I want to look at a piece of the conversation um, between Jesus and Pilate. Um, and here's the background of this conversation. We only know Pilate because of his role in Jesus's story. That, that's the only reason, which is really irritating to Pilate because he worked really hard to be known. He worked really hard to be one of those guys that kind of stood out off the pages of history. But if I were to ask you, can you name for me, list off all of the first century governors of Judea that you know, you would list off Pilate. <laughs> and the reason that you know that is either A, because I just told you a second ago, so hopefully you remembered, but B, because he's connected with the story of Jesus, right? And, and he was appointed governor by Tiberius, who was the emperor of Rome at the time. And when he's appointed governor, as all of the governors of all of the areas of the Roman empire were, he basically had two things that he was supposed to do as the governor of Judea. He was supposed to keep the peace and collect the taxes. That was his job. He was supposed to keep the Jewish people subservient to the Roman empire and not allow them to think they could have any kind of uprising. And he was to squeeze as much money out of them as he possibly could to fund the Roman empire. And Pilate did not have a good relationship with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. In fact, it was quite contentious. They didn't like him and he didn't care for them. In fact, Pilate would go out of his way to irritate the religious leaders History tells us that there were occasions where he would do things like during big ceremonies and celebrations and festivals and feasts uh, in Jerusalem, he would bring out these big banners, these big Roman banners that had offensive things on them and he would fly them. Uh, he, he would do things like he took, he took money from the temple tax that was only supposed to be used in the temple system and he used it to build an aqueduct. He, he did things on five occasions on five separate occasions, he sent his soldiers to murder Jewish leaders who were becoming too popular because he was afraid of an uprising. So to say that there was a difficult relationship between Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders would be a bit of an understatement. But on this particular occasion, the Jewish leaders needed a favor from Pilate. 
And he realized that when they came to him for this favor and when he realized what it was they were asking, he realized that he had just gained another level of power over them. And he loved being in a position of power. So Jesus had just been arrested. He'd been accused of several things. He'd been accused of blaspheming God. He'd been accused of threatening to tear down the temple. He'd been accused of declaring himself son of God and, and the religious leaders wanted him dead. They wanted him dead, but they did not have the authority nor the power to make it happen. So after several mock trials in which they declare him guilty of all of these things and bring in false witnesses to lie about him and all of these things, they then take him to the person of Pilate. And Pilate has this conversation with Jesus. And when the first part of the conversation ends, Pilate's like, I, I mean, uh, he may be a troublemaker, but nothing that I'm seeing here warrants death. Nothing does. So, but, but the people... The people were upset. The religious leaders had worked the crowds into a frenzy. And so oh, wanting to avoid a riot, wanting to avoid some sort of um, unrest or uprising that would inevitably make its way, word of it would make its way back to Tiberius. And then he would be in trouble. He decided that he was going to have Jesus flogged. And flogging isn't just a beating of some sort. I mean, it's a, the idea and the concept of flogging is to bring somebody as close to the brink of death as you can and then bring them back. Some people died during it, but most people survived it for a minute. But then when they would leave and try to recover and hide wherever they hid, usually infections would set in in the wounds <clears throat> and they would die a slow death. And so Paul like, well, I don't want to kill him. I want to just do this. So he had Jesus flogged. And then he brings Jesus back in front of the crowd because his idea was, okay, if I bring Jesus back in front of the crowd and they see the physical condition he's in. I mean, somebody who's just been flogged, it is difficult to lay eyes on that person because their body is so deformed. Blood is everywhere. He says, surely if I do this, this will quench whatever desire they have for punishment upon this man. And they will stop calling for the death of Jesus. But Pilate underestimated the influence and the power that the religious leaders had over the crowd. Those same leaders who were not happy with a flogging, who would not be happy with just some sort of condemnation. They wanted him dead. And Pilate realized in that moment that something was going on that was a little bit beyond his understanding. It was a little bit beyond what he had experienced and could process because this was something that had to do with the culture and what was going on. So he brings Jesus back into a private room and he continues the conversation with him. And Jesus says something in this conversation that is so powerful and is relevant for every single one of us. Basically, Jesus lays out God's view of power. And surprise, God's view of power is not our view of power. He, here's how the conversation went. John chapter 19, beginning in verse eight. It says, when Pilate heard this, that is when he heard that the religious leaders and the crowds would not be satisfied with just a beating, that they wanted death. When he heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. 
where do you come from? He asked Jesus. Now, that wasn't just a question of, okay, where were you born? That was a question of, who are you? What is going on here? Something is happening that is beyond what I'm getting. So I I need you to fill in some information for me here, Jesus. What is happening? Who are you really? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? And then he says this, don't you realize? Don't you realize? In other words, this is another way of saying, Jesus, you're missing something. You're not paying very close attention here. Jesus, don't you realize I have power to free you or to crucify you? I have power. Jesus, don't you understand who I am? Jesus, don't you understand the influence that I have over you? The leverage that I have in this moment? Jesus, don't you realize that your life hangs in the balance of my decision. That is the power that I have. Don't you realize? Then Jesus answered, you would have no power over me. If it were not, what's the word? What's the word? Given to you from above. In other words, Jesus looks at him and says, Pilate, Pilate, you need to calm down. All right, you need to step back because Pilate, you are not the center of power. I know with what you just said to me, you feel like you're the center of power, but you're not. Pilate, you may be caught up in the drama of the moment, all of the emotion raging outside these doors and feeling like you're the one that has the power to decide if you can quell this or flame it up even more. I know you've got that, but, but I'm not caught up in that drama. I'm not in it. The only power you have, Pilate, is the power that's been given to you, which means it can be taken away because anything that's given can be taken away. Power and authority are a stewardship. They're a stewardship. Now I know if you grew up in church, anytime you hear a pastor say say stewardship, you immediately cover your wallet, (laughs) right? Oh, stewardship, that's a money sermon. Here it comes. We're not talking about money. Relax. You're gonna unclutch the purses and wallets. Power is a stewardship. It is only on loan to those who have it. It's temporary. And he would go on to tell Pilate, that he would be held accountable for everything that he did with the power that he yielded, that temporary power. And Jesus' point is simply this, all power, no matter who has it, is stewardship. It's given for a moment. It will be taken away. And we all are accountable for what we do with the power that's given to us. Now, this may come as a little bit of a surprise because we don't think in these terms. But here's something that's true today. Every single one of you has an arena of power within your life. And throughout the different stages of life that you go through, you will have different levels and different areas of power that you do and don't have. And those things come and they go. 
and you leverage that power for good or for bad. Here's what we're going to do. Every one of you have a card sitting next to your chair or on your chair. There's some pens floating around for you to grab. Here's what I want you to do this morning. And I don't want you to write your names on this. Leave it, leave it anonymous. But what I want you to do is I want you to write on that card the areas in your life where you have power. And there's all kinds of areas. There's, uh, there's political power. Maybe you fund and donate to a politician and so you have that kind of power. Maybe it's social power, people who follow you and get ideas from you. There's, there's birth order power. Anybody who's grown up with siblings knows that for a period, the oldest has power over the youngest and can make them do things. There's marital power. Wives have power over husbands. Husbands have power over wives. It can be a great sense, uh, time of uh, contention within that. There's parent power. If you're a parent, you have power over your child. There's organizational power. Maybe you're a board member or a boss of some sort. There's positional power. If you're a coach or a teacher or some kind of team leader, there's family power. You may have influence, um, you may have influence related to somebody in your family. There's financial power. We live in a world where money gets you heard and money opens doors for you. Perhaps you're a part of the military. There's power to be had being a member of the military. There's just all sorts of power. So what I want you to do is as we're going through the service, just kind of be in your mind, where's my area of power? Where in life do I have that? And I want you to write those on the card. And I don't want you to sign it, leave it anonymous. But when you leave here today, I want you to drop your card in the offering box. And we're gonna be doing something with them a little bit down the road. But there's multiple areas in which we all have power. Now, with this in mind, power is leveraged. And it can be leveraged for good or for bad. In fact, it's a difficult uh, assignment to try and find anybody in life who has a bit of power who's not leveraging it at all. By default, we tend to leverage our power one way or another. And for some of you, some of your darkest moments of life were when someone had power over you and they were leveraging it for bad. Perhaps maybe a parent or some step parent, perhaps a boss that you were working for, they had power over you and they leveraged it against you. Perhaps maybe you look back and you realize um, that you were the one who perhaps abused your power in a certain situation. And the interesting thing is, is that that's really kind of the default. All of us are tempted to abuse our power. Listen, I've done this as a dad. I've, I've, abused, I've abused my power. There are things that I have told my boys to go do. And I tell them and others that it's because I'm building a good work ethic and character in them. And the reality is, they've got to do what I tell them to do. And I was feeling lazy and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and so I made them do it. And that's an abuse of power. As I'm laying on the couch, football game's on. Oh man, the trash needs taken out. I ain't doing it. <laughs> Boys, take the trash out. Why? Work ethic. No, I was lazy. I was using my power. That's what I would do. And when I talk about abuse of power, I'm not just talking about the egregious. 
like the one, the big ones that we can all kind of point at and agree on. But, but at the same time, many of us also have seen what happens when someone leverages their power in a positive manner. Some of you may tell your story and, and one of the highlights of the story is when someone had power over you and could have used it in a bad way, but instead they leveraged it for your benefit. Perhaps maybe there was a time when you had some power and you were able to leverage it for the benefit of someone else. And that was a highlight of your story. But listen, when somebody uses their power to benefit others, especially at a cost, when it costs them something, there is almost nothing as empowering as that kind of action. Empowering to the people around who watch, who follow that person, who are in contact with that person. The, the other thing that's interesting about this topic um, is in this regard is that most of us tend to leverage our power in the same way that power was leveraged against us. <laughs> For example, if you're a parent, you might've started out your time in parenthood saying, oh, I remember all the things my parents did where they abused their power and they didn't do things right. And you say to yourself, I'm gonna do it different. I'm gonna be a better parent. I'm not gonna do those things that my parents did. And then one day you're in the middle of a yelling session at your kid because of what they did. And all of a sudden you hear yourself and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm my parents. <laughs> With as much as I try to not be, I am my parents. Now, sometimes you realize, all right, I am my parents and maybe there was a reason they were like that. And maybe it wasn't as bad and I interpreted it wrong at the beginning, but the way they use their power, that's how I'm using my power. Maybe, you know, there's really some things that you realize you're your parents. Like, oh my goodness, I'm abusing power. I gotta, I gotta change it. But there it is. And it's a cycle that we all get in when it comes to this idea of power, that the way it was leveraged against us is how we tend to leverage it against other people. But make no mistake, every single one of us in some arena have power and you will be tempted to use it in ways that hurts others. But the thing that will begin to change this idea is the insight that comes out of this conversation that Jesus had with Pilate. The thing that will begin to unwind the bad habits that we have when it comes to what we do with the amount of power we've been given that will allow us to see our position in life differently and understand that we have power. The thing that, that Pilate missed is that all power is stewardship. It has been given to us and it can and will be taken from us. And we're accountable for what we do with it, which should cause us to pause and ask a very important question when it comes to our, our, our areas of power. And that is this, why would God give me power? Why? Why has God put you where you are? Why has God allowed those who are under your power to be in that position? Why has he given you influence? Is it possible that God has put you in a position where you have some power for a reason? 
And I was, I was thinking about all of this, like just the, the clearest example I could come up with was the area of, of money management. You're like, oh, we're back to money. I thought you said I could leave my wallet alone. You can, don't you? But money management. So let's go into the, let's go into the make-believe machine. So let's make believe that a couple weeks ago, I won a billion dollars. Let's just pretend that I won a billion dollars. Probably the first thing that I should do is I should probably find a really good money manager, right? Because I mean, that kind of money, that, 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 that money's got the power to destroy, right? So, okay, I need to find a really, really good money manager, right? And any good financial manager knows that the money that they're managing is not their money. In fact, when you sit down and have a conversation with a money manager, the very first question that they should ask is something along the lines of, what are your goals for your money? What are your wishes with this thing that you're entrusting me with to manage, right? If I sat down, if I sat down to the first question or the first statement out of the money manager's mouth was, okay, I'm glad you're here. Here's all of the ideas that I have for your money. I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe you're not the guy for me. Man, I don't want to hear your goals for my money. I want you to manage it according to my goals. I would not empower that person to manage my money. I want someone who will use it for the way I want it used. Same thing happened when you got a job. You went to work. And you showed up and that employer said, all right, we are going to empower you. We're going to empower you to represent us. We're going to empower you to sell for us, to do things for us, to work here. But we are assuming that with the power we give you, that you are going to use that power for our agenda and our goals. I mean, that's the basic terms of employment. And you, you, you know that if you're in an organization and your agenda and your goals begin to deviate from that of the organization, guess what happens? They take back the power they gave you to work there. Uh, let's put it in a more positive light. Let's not say they take back the power. Let's say they free your future up for you. <laughs> they empower you to go work for someone else. Because the power that they gave you, they want you to leverage that for their sake. They want you to leverage that power for them. And so whenever somebody gives you power, no matter where it comes from, if they give you power, they are expecting you to leverage it for their agenda, not yours. And that's the whole idea of stewardship. This is why we have to ask God, God, why would you give me this power? What is your agenda? What do you want me to do with it? Even if you think it is an inconsequential amount of power, that's not really gonna make a difference and nobody is ever gonna notice what you do or don't do. God, why would you give me this power as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a teacher, as a coach, as a boss, whatever area you may have power, why would you do it? Is there a purpose for this power? And I'll tell you right away, before you even bother asking the question, the answer is yes. There is a purpose for the power you've given. And this may be a wake-up call. This may, it, it, it may shake your worldview 
When you begin to see and understand that all of the power that you have comes from God. You know what most people use their power for? And this is a weird cycle that happens. Most people use their power to protect their power. If you look in so many organizations and politics and people who run money and just all, all, all of it, people with power tend to use that power to protect their power. And you've done this. Think about like back when you were in high school and you like had your group. Maybe you were like kind of the cool one in the group. Because I know, you know, all the cool kids come to tapestry. So you're the cool one. And all of a sudden somebody new shows up and they seem to be just a little cooler. And all of a sudden you're like, oh no, they can't become part of the group. I'm the cool one in the group. And so you start using that power you have with the group to kind of try and keep them out because you don't want to lose your position of power. Maybe, maybe you were a jock. I was a jock in high school. And then a new kid comes and he's a jock. And he was a little better than me. And I tried to do everything I could to not let him have my position on the team. And whatever little bit of power I had, I tried to leverage it because I've got my position. I've got to protect my position and I've got to use my power to protect whatever power and coolness and popularity that position on the team brought me. It's our propensity is to use our power to protect our power. Perhaps it's at work and you see somebody beginning to kind of rise through the ranks. You have a decision to make. Do I use my power to throw obstacles in front of them? To get other people to think, eh, they're not that great? Or do I use my power to help them? Do I try to protect my position or do I help out somebody else? And perhaps maybe you started something. Maybe you started a little business. Maybe you started doing a little project on the side. And at the beginning, it was just small and there was no power, but then all of a sudden it kind of started to grow a little bit gets a little bigger. All of a sudden you find yourself having this, this, this position of, of power. All of a sudden the decisions that you start to make no longer begin to look like the ones at the beginning of whatever it is you started where the idea was to grow and get out there and help and do whatever. But now all of a sudden the decisions start to be colored with this idea of, oh no, I've got this little bit of power. I've got to protect it. I can't lose it. I don't want to do something that'll cause it to go away. I mean, countless organizations that started out as great organizations, doing great things, ate themselves alive because the decisions of the organization over time, and it's natural to go that way. You've got to actively fight against it. Over time, the actions of the organization became protecting the power of the organization. And the mission was lost and the environment was ruined. It's a natural inclination that we all have to leverage our own power, to protect our base of power. This is why the Bible is so amazing. You open up the pages of scripture and you begin to read the story of Jesus and the way that he did things. And it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. He kept giving his power away. Who does that? That's trying to start a revolution. Nobody. Jesus never once leveraged his power to protect his power. He didn't do it. 
In fact, time after time, you look in the gospels and Jesus leveraged his power to protect the powerless. This is what his ministry was based on. And when you read and you read the story, the people of power that surrounded him, the religious leaders, they were threatened by the way that he handled his power. They thought to themselves, he's got to have a hidden agenda. He's, he's doing something. We can't see it, but he's up to something. Eventually he's going to declare himself king. Eventually he's going to use all this momentum and this, this popularity that he's gained with the populace. He's going to raise up an army. We just know it. Eventually he's going to try and throw off Roman rule and throw out us religious leaders. Because after all, as they were watching, they were like, who, who acts like that? He speaks like nobody else has ever spoken. He, he gives importance to things that have not been important in our society. Surely there is a point at which he will level this amazing popularity and this amazing amount of influence that he carries over the people. Surely he's going to leverage, leverage it for himself like every other leader we have ever seen. And then you get to the end of the story. And he looks at the man who seemingly holds all the power. Jesus looks at the man who with a word can end his life. And he says, Pilate, you need to relax because your power is borrowed. It's temporary. You spent your whole life trying to gain this power. You've done everything that you could to protect your power. But Pilate, it's not even your power. But you will be held accountable. And Jesus willingly laid down his life and his power along with it. Not for his sake, but for ours. Unbelievable. Nobody had ever acted like that, ever. So here's my question. Where has God given you power? And not just that, but what are you doing with it? How are you leveraging it? Are you leveraging it for your gain? Or are you leveraging it for, the, for others? In what arena has God given you a measure of influence? And how are you using it? If you're in a position of leadership at all, do you live in fear that somebody is going to come along and take your power away? Let me answer that fear for you. Yes, yes, they will. It's going to happen. Nobody holds on to the power forever. It's just a matter of time. But what drives your decision in a position of leadership? Do you do everything in your power to protect your power? So, where, where, where has God given you power? And do you operate in fear of losing it? And, and let me ask you this, how different would your life look? And how different would the environment around you be 
If you decided and asked this question, God, why have you given me this power? And Lord, help me leverage it for others. How different would things look in your immediate circumstances? So as we look at this story, there's a part of it I don't want to skip. And that's how the whole story wrapped up for Pilate. The one who held all the power in the conversation. The one who had spent his life attaining this power and using it to protect the power. The one who sentenced Jesus to death in order to maintain the peace so that he can maintain the power given to him by Rome. This is fascinating how his story ends. And you're not, you're not going to find this part of his story in the Bible. You got to go to regular history books for this part of Pilate's story. A couple of years, about two years actually, after this conversation with Jesus, um, Pilate hears that there's a group of Samaritans who are plotting to rise up against him, who are going to try to overthrow him. And so he sends his army, as he had done so many times to so many other people, he sends his army to Samaria. And they murder a whole bunch of people in an effort to quash this rebellion against him. Well, the Samaritans were furious. They appealed to Rome. They appealed straight to Tiberius. Tiberius, the person who every decision that he made was in an attempt to keep Tiberius happy so that he could maintain the power that Tiberius had given him. They report it to Rome and to Tiberius. And Tiberius sends a group of people to Jerusalem and they depose Pilate and they arrest him, strip him of his power. He's arrested by the very person he tried to please in order to maintain his power. And so once they arrested him, they started the journey back to Rome where he would be tried. And on the way back to Rome, Pilate, Mr. Powerful, life and death over Jesus in my words. On the way back, Tiberius dies. He dies. Now, Tiberius was the most powerful person in the world. The ruler over the Roman Empire. He dies. How much power does Tiberius have now? None. None at all. In fact, some think that he was killed by his son Caligula in an effort because Caligula didn't want to wait any longer to have the power that his dad had. And everybody in Rome wasn't really that upset about it because... Tiberius was a terrible person and they hated him. In fact, they didn't even want to bury him with the rest of the emperors. They wanted to just throw his body into the river. And so suddenly Pilate shows up in Rome for his trial. There's been a change in leadership and nobody knows what to do with Pilate. And so what they decide to do is they're going to exile him to Gaul, which is part of modern day France. So here, here he is, Pilate the Powerful. And when he arrives in Gaul, he takes his own life and he disappears from the pages of history. And the only reason that you know his name is because he's a footnote in the story of Jesus, the man who gave his power 
away. Whenever somebody leverages their power for their own sake, when they die, it all goes with them. It's gone. But when a person leverages their power for others, it reverberates long beyond their lifetime. It lasts longer than they do. And listen, the only way, the only way to make power last is to give it away, is to willingly lay it down because power is temporary. It was given to you and to me. So should we not seek the desires of the person or the source of our power? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you. And God, you, you entrust us with a bit of power, with a bit of influence. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us in this room recognize the areas in which we possess any type of power. And Father, let us come to the realization, Lord, that it's you who allows us to have it. And so let us begin to turn to you and ask the question, Lord, what would you have us do with our power? Let us not fall into the, to the trap and the temptation of leveraging it for our own gain. But Lord, let us take every opportunity to look around and say, what good can I do with the power that I've been given? Who can I help? Who around me is powerless for which I can act on their behalf? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this be something that for the next few weeks becomes obvious in our eyes as we go through our daily lives. Lord, let things start to become so clear and obvious to us that we cannot resist seeing them. Let it be one of the things that once we see it, it's impossible to unsee. And let us be aware of the responsibility that rests upon us to use our power in the way that you would have us to use it because after all, it's really yours. We are just managers of it. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace and that you welcome us to you freely. Be with us as we go. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Please drop those cards in the offering boxes on your way out. And we will see you next week as we continue talking about our power trip. It's